You turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We'll finish up our time here in the book of Galatians. And Paul ends this book much the way he started this book with an emphasis on the grace of God. He, he draws us back to the central argument, which has been you, you can't earn your own way, you can't make your own way. There is only one way, and that one way is God's grace applied to your life by faith. There are are no other options with regard to how we come to a right relationship with the Lord. And once you are saved, works flow out of that, but works themselves, guidelines themselves, rules and laws themselves cannot save you today and have never saved anyone. And so Paul's going to reinforce the power that we have in the freedom that we walk in because of the grace of God. He's going to switch gears a little bit. He's been dictating this letter up to this point to a scribe. That scribe uh, has been writing these words. Paul, for emphasis, is now going to write the remaining paragraph in his own hand. And he's going to do so, he's going to tell us, in large letters. And whether he's writing in large letters, as some believe, because of an eye condition, or whether he's doing what you and I would do if we want to really yell something out on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, we do it in all caps, right? Uh, It it could be that the Apostle Paul is just saying, look, I want to, one last time, I want to remind you of the freedom that we have in the grace of God. And so would you join me? We'll pick up in verse 11. We'll finish the book of Galatians before we move on next week to Luke's gospel. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, that there is only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. That it is at the name of Jesus one day every knee will bow and tongue confess that he alone is Lord. That you, Jesus, came into this world not to condemn the world, but the world through you might be saved. And we pray that your grace would be visible to us this afternoon. Lord, speak to us through your word. Bless us as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11 here in Galatians 6. And see with with which uh, large letters I've written to you with my own hand. And so this phrase, it seems to indicate Paul has shifted gears. He's now going to write this final paragraph himself. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And so he's going to make one last shot at legalism, one last shot at the bondage that came through Judaism. And again, remind yourself who the author is. The Apostle Paul was raised in Judaism. The Apostle Paul was a member of the Pharisees. The Apostle Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Apostle Paul writes of his own life as a Jew that he was faultless in keeping the law. He says, look, if there was ever a Jewish person who was really Jewish, it was me. And so he would understand fully and completely what it would be like to live one's life by the Old Testament law, to, to worship God through the sacrifices, through the feast days, through those things which would have happened in the temple, the temple courtyard, the Holy of Holies, the holy place. He would have absolutely understood. And he's writing in that context. 
Now, I would think that we would all in this room agree that those were really good works. They were given to the Jewish people by God himself. They were to be a reminder to them, this is what I expect of you. You know, as you entered in and you saw the table of showbread and the loaf for each of the 12 tribes, reminding them that they were gods. And you would come to this giant curtain that separated man from God and inside the Ark of the Covenant two cherubim on top of it, the mercy seat in between. It was there that the blood would be spread. And before you got there, there was an altar on which incense was burned, which were the prayers of the saints. These were good representations that God was holy and that you couldn't approach him without praying, that you couldn't get into his presence without being holy. These were all good things. But those good things could not save anyone. They were pointing us to Christ. Paul said they were a tutor. They were a schoolmaster. They showed the way, but those works could not and did not save anyone. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. And this is just a statement of fact. Nobody is able with their own flesh to do anything perfectly, much less keep the law that was designed to show us the holiness of God. But they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. It's like, look, that's one of my converts over there. But God forbid that I should boast except, and there it is, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only boasting you're gonna get out of me is Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe Jesus died on Calvary's cross for my sins. Paul would boast in the cross of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's already said to us, look, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As he wrote to the Christians in Rome, he said, by the works of the flesh is no one justified. We have all these incredible promises that that point us towards the grace of God and point us towards believing in the only Son of God as the only way for any of us to be right with God. And yet people still cling to religious endeavor. They still cling to works. They will name to you the things that they do personally so that it is okay with God between God and them. Very often you'll talk to somebody And you'll be sharing the gospel. And they say, well, I don't need to do that. I'm a good person. And so Paul's saying, look, you're you're not good enough. You may be good. You may do good things. You may intend well. Jesus went so far as to say, look, you, you could give your body to be burned and everything that you have to the poor. But if you lose your own soul, it will profit you nothing. It was that Jesus that said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he die, he will never perish. She will never perish. You may take your last breath, but the next thing you're going to see is heaven. Paul's reminding us, look, all the things that we can haggle over, all the things that we could disagree on, all the things that one might do to say, well, this is why I'm okay with God. Me and God are square. 
You're saying the only thing that squares you away with God is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It's a plain teaching of Scripture. And so he says, look, I'm crucified to this world and all that it has. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. It isn't whether you have a religious rite performed on your body as a male Jewish person before the age of eight. It isn't that at all. It's not because you're born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It isn't because of anything you do. The only way you get into heaven is by being a new creation. As many as walk according to this rule, the rule of the gospel, the rule of the salvation that comes to us by the cross of Christ, the rule of grace in our lives. Those of us who know the Lord are the only ones who actually have peace with God. Everybody else is still at war with the Lord. Now you you may say, well, I'm not at war with God. Without placing your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are still exactly as Paul said, at war with God. Now your, your war may be not all that violent. Maybe you're pretty nice as far as God's standards are concerned. But the fact of the matter is, in us dwells no good thing. There's none righteous, not one. Every last one of us ascend and fallen short of the glory of God. And so because of that, we don't have peace with God. That peace comes through the grace of God. And once you have the grace of God, then you have the peace of God. And it is that peace of God that gives you the mercy of God. Because if the war is not ceased, then I do not have peace with God. And if I do not have peace with God, then I will not receive the mercy of God. The mercy of God is simply him not giving me what I do deserve. That's mercy. If I try and get to heaven on my own merits, I am in trouble. It won't happen. And so I will not have the mercy of God if I try and do it my way. But I can have the peace of God by the grace of God, which is completely unmerited favor. So much so is it unmerited favor that it's actually given to us by the vehicle of faith, and that faith is a gift. So when you come to faith in Christ, you are simply receiving a gift. It's not any good thing. Yes, it's volitional, but it is completely free on God's part and it is completely without merit on your part. You simply receive that grace gift. And because of that, God says the war is over and because of that, you will not get what you do deserve and earn. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's making reference to his own people, to the Jewish people. If you remember that they were known as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Jacob's name was changed. What was it changed to? Israel, which means governed by God. 
but were they actually governed by God? The answer is no, they sure were not. That's what God wanted. That's what the promise stated they should have and should be. But they fell short on their side. But those who have received Christ actually become the Israel of God, the true ones that actually do know him. In other words, there's only one way to get to heaven. There's not a Jewish way and a Gentile way. There's one way known as the way. Amen? He's also the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And so Paul's saying, look, there's power in this freedom. But from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so Paul concludes his letter saying, look, if you want to look at someone who, who used to be a legalist, if you want to look at someone who thought he could earn his own way, Look no further than the Apostle Paul. He, he was case in point. He could have pointed to his own life and said, look, uh, of, the, of the law, I was faultless. Of the feast days, I made it to everyone. I did what God asked me to do. But I also did not know the God that those things were supposedly pointing towards. And so Paul dictates this final paragraph to remind us of the power that we have in this freedom because of the grace of God. And so he's given us these contrasts. You can either have bondage or you can have liberty. You might say you can have prison or you can have freedom. You can walk in the flesh or the spirit. You can live for yourself or you can live for others. And now he says, look, you can live for the praise of people, what they think, or you can live for the praise of God. What God thinks. It becomes about our motivation, why we do what we do. When scripture reminds us that there's none righteous, not one, it could also say there's not one perfect, not one. So so none of us are getting anywhere with God because we ourselves are perfect in all of our ways. He, Jesus, is perfect in all of his ways. And I'm resting and trusting in his perfection, not my own. I believe that he died in my place. So what happens is the legalist has kind of the wrong motivation or the wrong motives. And so what happens to the legalist is they begin to brag. They're braggarts. They basically care about where they are. And so they will tell you where they are in relationship to where you are, showing you that they're better and you need to do what they do. That's what laws and rules do. People will make them up. They'll come to their own conclusion. If you do these certain things, then you're okay with God. And God says, now wait a second. No amount of doing things can ever make anyone right. So the person that brags about what they do for God and then tells you you need to do what they do in order to be right with God actually has the wrong perspective because they're comparing themselves to you or to other people when they ought to be comparing themselves to a holy God. And if we do that, we all fall short, amen? And and so they brag about their own spiritual accomplishments. The second thing you can see in this passage is actually they compromise instead of comply. They're compromisers instead of compliers. Because if you really look at what a legalist does, 
They themselves do not follow perfectly the law. They simply compromise in the areas where they themselves fall short. They will point out other people's faults and how someone else falls short, but they will ignore their own. And so there is some compromise to not being perfect insofar as it pertains to them. In other words, your sin is worse than their sin, so their compromise is okay, but yours is not. A third thing, they are very forceful salespeople of a very tainted product. Because they'll tell you if you do these things, you'll be right with God. The end result is you do those things and you're still not right with God. But boy, will you get hit with the rules, the regulations, and the things that you should or should not do. And while it is true, God has given us a very, very strong understanding of how we ought to live, our salvation is not ever contingent upon those things. Those are the results of being saved, not how we come into a right relationship with God. In other words, if I am saved, then I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to endeavor to live my life in a way that it pleases God. But pleasing God can't save me. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's it. Nothing added it. Nothing put into the mix beyond that. Once that happens, then my life becomes a, a, a journey of sanctification. I start to act more like the Lord. I behave more like the Lord. I think more like the Lord. Excuse me. But what happens is they, they it, I don't know if you guys remember, remember the ShamWow dude? And he'd sell you the, you know, you'd watch, and, and he would spill like 40 gallons of some liquid, take one sham wow, and like, <laughs> and it's all in this, this blue rag that's, you know, two feet square. You're going, man, that's incredible. I could like clean out my pool if I wanted to drain it. I could just put one of those in it and pull it out. And... But the problem was, the product didn't do what it promised to do. But at the end of the commercial, you kind of felt like a fool if you didn't buy 10 of them. It's like, wow, these things are so great. I got to have 10 of those. I mean, I'm giving them away as Christmas gifts. They're so awesome. Well, that's what works does. That's what legalism does. It sounds like a good thing because you're going to be holy like God is holy through doing all these things. And then you want to give that away as a gift that keeps on giving bondage to someone else. The problem is it never gets you where it promises to get you. Because those works can't save you. Those works can't sanctify you. Those works won't make you more like Jesus. If those works don't come out of the heart of someone who's already saved, they mean nothing. They're just good works like everyone else's good works. But they're not eternal good works. They're just nice things. Then the fourth thing. People who cling to legalism are almost always hypocrites because they will tell you to do something and then not do it themselves. They will tell you, you ought to live like this but if you closely examine their life, you look at the fruit, you're going to find out that they're not living in a way that honors the Lord somewhere. Oh, they'll pick out your faults and they will completely wash over their own. 
And so Paul writes to us to remind us this is dangerous territory. People who promote that type of life and living want to put you back into bondage instead of setting you free. And so he reminds us the real power source. Look, the real power in your life and in my life, in the life of the church, in every believer, the power is the power of the cross of Christ. Amen? That's why he says the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. He's making a picture of what the cross has done. It's the cross of Christ that's freed me from sin. It's the cross of Christ that's working to will and do in me God's good pleasure. It's the cross that's brought me into a right relationship with the Lord. The power is in the cross of Christ. So much so that Paul would say the power of the cross, that's the will of God. That's how we come to that place of salvation. It's knowing that God sent his only begotten son. It's knowing that son lived a perfect life. It's knowing that son died on Calvary's cross in your place. It's knowing that son was raised from the dead three days later. And because he is raised, one day you will also be raised. The power against sin is not your works. It's the cross of Christ that freed you from the penalty of those sins. Because the truth is, we all still have a sin nature. And so the power of the cross has freed you from your old sins, the past. It's freeing you today from your present sins, those things that are still going on in your life that don't stack up to God's standards. And it even saves you from your future sins that you've not even committed yet. That's how powerful the cross of Christ actually is. And so he says, look, this world, notice what it says, this world has been crucified to me. This world, this, this cosmos that right now is ruled by the enemy has an awful lot of temptations for the child of God, amen? There are things in this world that look extremely attractive to the child of God that are not okay with God. But you've been set free from that. Why is that important? Because if you're not set free from this world, you're still stuck in it. But I now live in a new world. I have a new home. And that home is heaven. This world is not my home. My home is there. And so this world has no attraction to me. Doesn't mean that we don't enjoy homes and cars and vacations and going out to dinner, any of those things. He's not talking about that at all. In an eternal sense, my main attraction is heaven. This world is a stop on the journey. And so the weight that I feel from trying to get everything I can before I leave this planet, and when you talk to people that don't know the Lord, that is the main driving force. I got to get as much money. I got to get as much power. I got to get as much passion. I need to accumulate as many possessions as I can because you only get to go around once. I'm not going around at all. I'm on a one-way journey to heaven. Amen? It's not going around once. It's going one time through this life and then heaven. Because to be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord. 
So this world, I'm freed from its bondage, its power. It doesn't hold anything. If I leave this earth possessing nothing, I have heaven to look forward to. And if I leave possessing everything, I still have the same heaven to look forward to. So no matter what happens to you while you're here, it's going to be really good when you get there. Sometimes I'll have those conversations with people and they'll talk about, you know, their friends or their family. They're looking back and, you know, they can see me from heaven. And, and while that may be wonderfully emotional and you can think about those things, I guarantee you there's nobody in heaven that's going, geez, I wish I could go back to the earth. You know, I just got to go back there. No. Because there is the fullness of joy. And here, no matter how good or bad it is, is not the fullness of joy. A second thing, my flesh has never been able to get me right with God, and neither is yours. That's why I have to be in Christ to be that new creation, that new creature. I can do all kinds of good things. They might make me happy, but they can't make me a citizen of heaven. They might even be good for other people, but they can't make me a citizen of heaven. Only the cross can make me a citizen of heaven. It's to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to get there. That's where the power of salvation comes from. If there is no cross, there is no Christ. If there is no Christ, there is no salvation. Without Jesus, we're lost still. But because there was a cross... And because there is an offer of salvation and grace has been made available to all of us, anyone who will ask can have it. Then the power that we now have is the power of God unto salvation to them who believe. I now have that restored friendship that Adam forfeited. I now have that fellowship with God that Adam gave away. What sin did, does to all of us. It separates us from God. Because of Christ, I've had that restored. Because I've believed on his name, I now have a relationship with the one true God. Because I believe Christ died for me personally, I know when I take my last breath, I'm going to heaven. I have zero doubt. I'm not one, well, you know, it, well, that Jesus thinks a good thing, but I, I better do all these other things too. No, it's Jesus alone that's getting me into heaven. Sometimes when we read John 3.16, we, we forget to move a few more verses through that particular passage. And it's really important that we do that because ultimately it doesn't just say, for God so loved the world, again, the word cosmos, And by the way, ladies, just so that you really understand this, the word cosmos is the same Greek word from which we get our word cosmetic. It means to make order out of disorder. (laughs) So for us guys, there's no hope. But you ladies, you can pull out that wayward eyebrow. Just pluck them, thread them, do whatever you do. For God so loved the disorder that is the world today. Do you understand? 
that he sent Christ to reestablish order. He, he brought order out of the chaos by offering salvation to anyone who would believe. It's mind-boggling. Because let's put it this way. When you look at the world today, if you're hoping in this world, you have a hopeless existence. Sometimes I, I just, after a while, it's like, oh, Lord, I can't watch the news anymore. It's just awful. But when you read John 3, 16, God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, you got to keep going a little bit. And he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. Jesus makes it very clear while saying, look, I came into the world because God loves you. I'm offering you salvation. You have to believe it. You have to receive it. It's not because you go to church. It's you personally believing on the only begotten Son of God. That's why there's power in salvation. There's power in the cross. That's why scripture reminds us there in the book of Acts, there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It's only at the name of Jesus. And people say, ah, so narrow. Yes, it is. It's very narrow. But it's also totally free. It's completely not based on your own personal merit. It's on you believing on the only begotten son. It's you saying yes. It's you believing what Peter said. God is unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God actually means that. That's why he made grace a free gift through believing in the only begotten son. He didn't make it about religion. He didn't make it works. He didn't say you need Jesus and. He didn't say clean up your life and then you can come to Christ. He said come to Christ and I'll help you clean up your life. He said surrender to me in grace. Receive my gift. And then I'll help you by the Holy Spirit take care of everything else. But see, the legalist says you've got to get cleaned up before you can come to the cross. Jesus said, come to me, all ye, all of you, who are heavy laden, beat down by the world, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, the yoke of grace, by the way, the yoke of faith, by the way, which is a gift, by the way, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. Take my yoke of grace upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's never been about works. It's not about what you do for God. Now, once you've come to faith in Christ, because you love the Lord, 
You're going to want to do what everybody wants to do for anybody that's done immeasurable good to them. You're going to want to bless them. Somebody walks up and hands you a million dollars, you're probably going to be pretty friendly to them for a week. Right? Jesus gave you the greatest gift you could ever receive. And he asked nothing of you to receive it. He said, if you will believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. It's a gift. And so that's what brings that peace. That's what brings the joy. That's what allows your life to be transformed into one that's uh, acceptable to God. Because look, this rule, if it was some rule that you had to do beyond receiving the gift of God's grace, there's some in this room that couldn't do it. There's some in this room that wouldn't do it. But we can all receive a gift. And the result of that is God's mercy is poured out upon us. Anybody in here thankful for the mercy of the Lord? Oh, hallelujah. Amen. See, the fact that I don't get what I've deserved, what I've earned, what my sin should have purchased, is awful precious to me. Because when I think of what I should get, and then realize I won't get it, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Amen? That comes to me because I've believed by faith in the only begotten Son of God, which has resulted in his grace, unmerited favor, which has resulted in his forgiveness of all of my sin, past, present, and future, which is the reason I won't get what I deserve. It's all linked together in one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Everything else is the result of that one thing. Everything else. That's why you do good works. That's why you read your Bible. That's why you go to church. That's why you share your faith. That's why you go in the mission field. That's why you give. That is why you do good works for all. That's why when you see your brother in need, you give to them. That is why it all comes from the one thing. That's where the power is. It all flows out of the cross. It is going to cost you something, though. You're going to have to give up your old life. You're going to have to relinquish the old you and say yes to the new you. And here's the crazy good part. The Lord will make the new you. Even that is on him. You simply have a series of saying yes in obedience to the things that he wants for you. And as we say yes initially to the offer of grace that comes by faith, resulting in forgiveness, salvation, we now have the mercy of God. Then he begins to make you that new creation in Christ Jesus. He changes all of your priorities. Behold, he says, I make all things new. 
He starts to change us from the inside out. Paul was willing to have literal scars. You could look at the back of the Apostle Paul. You could probably see in his bent legs and his bowed knees the number of times he got tossed out of a window, thrown out of a city, beaten or shipwrecked. So there was even a physical cost on him. But he says, look, I am dead to the world. I don't care what the world does. I just know that I know Jesus. And in light of that, everything else is okay. Everything else is going to be okay. Doesn't mean you won't go through pain. You may go through pain. Doesn't mean you won't go through sorrow. You may go through sorrow. You may suffer greatly. But when you get to heaven, you're not going to be in heaven going, man, I sure got maltreated. You know, I can't, I can't believe it. When you get to heaven, you're going to be so enraptured with heaven. Whatever price you paid while you were here, you're going to go, I'll, I'll, 10 of those, please. Do it all again, and then some. Paul comes finally to the end, and it ends the way he began. He says, look, you can't be saved by the law of Moses. You can't be saved by religion. Religion doesn't do it. It's relationship. It's not legalism. It's not applying a bunch of rules and trying to beat the human flesh into submission. It's not my good works. I'm not going to be any more deserving of heaven than anyone else who's ever lived. And I will be no less deserving than anyone else who's ever professed Christ. Because the only reason I am deserving is because Jesus paid the price for me. I'm resting and trusting in that. That's the power. That's the freedom. And it is very much worth the price. And so when we think of his grace... And we think of what we might have to give up. You know what? You're going to lose some friends probably. Almost assuredly from following Christ. You may have some family members that might not speak to you ever again. That's horrible. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. You may go through some tough things financially. You're you're probably not going to be able to take some of those tax deductions you used to take because you actually don't have those 19 kids. (laughs) It's going to cost you. Because you're going to look at it and you're going to go, you know, that's not the Lord making me write that number down. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be really worth it. When you get to heaven and you stare into the eyes of Jesus... You realize that the power of the cross got you there. The grace of God was poured out on your life. Whatever price you paid, it's going to be just fine. So Paul says, don't lean on the works of the flesh. Don't trust legalism. Rest in the grace of God. Because it's the only way to get to heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We'll... I apologize, we've run late all day. We had long, extra things going on today.
but I would be horribly remiss if I didn't stop right now after presenting the gospel in such a clear way. Not just invite, if there's someone here today, maybe you're here and you have never heard that it is the grace of God. You've never heard that believing on the name of the Lord Jesus is the only way to be saved. Here's the great news. If you're here today and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, you can do that right now and square away your eternity. You can receive that grace gift right now and make sure that where you're going to spend eternity is heaven. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray. And if you're here today and you're saying, look, I've been trying to work my own way to heaven. I I thought religion was going to do it or I thought good works was going to do it. And I realize that it's not. And you want to give your life to Jesus today and stop striving. Quit trying to work your way to heaven. You just want to know that the grace of God is on you. I'm going to ask you right now to just raise your hand. And I want to pray with you to receive Christ right now. Because his word says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you'll believe on my name, you'll be saved. And so if that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you wherever you are. Anyone at all? Got a hand in the back. See this hand in the front. Praise the Lord. I see this other hand over to my left. Square it away. Jesus so loves you that he came and died on Calvary's cross so that you could spend eternity with him. Stop striving for it. Stop working for it. Start resting in who he is. Anyone else? Some hands up in the sanctuary. See this hand over here too. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Those of you that raised your hands, you can put your hands down, but this is the part you've got to do. I can lead you in some words, but they've got to come from your heart. And they need to go to God's ears. So I'm going to ask you to pray them out loud. Very simple. And so we just pray with me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I recognize that I need a Savior. I thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth and dying on Calvary's cross. I believe that you were raised three days later. And if I will believe in you, I'll be saved. And so, Lord, I believe in you. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins. I'm asking you to help me to live my life for you. I'm giving you control. Please be the Lord of my life. Write my name in the Lamb's book. Help me to walk all of my days for you. Thank you for being my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.